Everyone has a desire to know what you were created for. You know what you like to do and what you don't, what you're naturally good at and other things not so much. But what do you do when you don't doubt God? You don't even doubt your giftedness. You just doubt, well, yourself. How can we address and shift a mindset from I can't to I am? We'll talk about it in this episode. I got the juice, an insight into your calling. Hey friend. So one of the things that I've really been leaning into lately is how to better discern my calling and how I use my gifts in the right way, making sure that it's at the right time as God intended for me in this season. It's something I want to encourage you to do as well. Why is this important? Well, when we don't know what we've been called to do, we can wear ourselves out trying to do some of everything or risk being completely ineffective by going to the opposite end of the spectrum and choosing to do nothing at all. But your life was made for so much more than that, from being in a rat race to being a couch potato. You have something special that the rest of the world needs. And I don't want to make this super spiritual. Please, you don't do it either. It doesn't have to be that you were called to teach Sunday school. Shout out to my Sunday school teachers, though. (laughs) Or preach from a pulpit. Your calling is not limited to the four walls of your church. Your calling can and will likely also find its place out there in the world. I know, crazy, right? But how else will we impact the world if we're not in it? So with an open mindset about what is possible, I want you to start thinking about how you've been gifted and start praying about how God may want to use you. Another reason why it's important to discern your gifts is because we want to grow confidence that God chose right. What do I mean? Let me tell you a little secret. Are you ready? It's not the existence of God that you're questioning. You believe in him. It's not the presence of your calling. You know you have a gift. What you don't believe in, friend, is yourself. Hmm. Did you know that it's not just important that you have faith in God. You need to also have faith in yourself. Don't do that. Don't, I, I saw you, don't make that face. I know it's cliche, have faith in yourself, but there's truth in there, right? And I promise you, I'm gonna show you today, at least I'm gonna get started. Cause you know me, I can't wrap up in one episode. I just can't. I'm going to show you today where even one of the most powerfully used characters in the Bible had to be convinced that he was capable. And is it possible, and only you know, that you've not seen the results, progress, or growth that you desire because you believe what God says about him? You just still don't believe what God says about you. Let's talk about it. 
So let's start with Moses. Now, Moses is such a well-known character of the Bible that I'm sure most of you are familiar with his story. Moses was born during a time when Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was afraid at the rate at which the Hebrew people were growing. They had started off with just 70 during the time of Joseph, and now we're taking the command of God to be fruitful and multiply seriously. And they were starting to outnumber the Egyptians in their own country. So because of that, Pharaoh commissioned the midwives and he told them that when they were helping it assist with Hebrew women who were giving birth, that they were to kill the child if it happened to be male. Moses' parents were aware that this was the case and that male children were to be killed, but they recognized from birth that Moses was a special child. Hebrews 11.23 says that it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. That same scripture goes on to say that it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, some of you may be wondering, why would he have been called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? That's a great question. It's because when they could hide him no longer, they put him, remember, in that basket made of reeds, and they pushed it down the Nile River, and he ended up coming in contact with Pharaoh's daughter while she was bathing. And she found him, and she loved him, and she adopted him. And so she raised him like he was her own inside of Pharaoh's palace, if you will. But it says here that when he grew up, and for us, that would mean when we matured, right? When he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. A great sign that you are confident in who you've been called to be is that you aren't afraid to say no. You not only know what to say yes to, what's in alignment with your calling, what's in alignment with your purpose, but you also know what to say no to. It's not hard to be committed to your calling when you don't have options. (laughs) When you can only do one thing well, well, you just do that one thing. But Hebrew says that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. What does this mean? It means he was loyal to God, even though it did not reap him an immediate benefit. He was loyal to God, even when it meant removing himself from an immediate place of privilege. Sometimes, and I'm I'm about to be a little spicy, Sometimes we think that because we're called and that we're anointed, that it means we automatically go to the head of the table. We think that because we have a giftedness and we have the spirit of God inside of us, that that automatically means that we need to be in a position of power, that we, that we deserve to be in control. But, but I just want you to think about this. Think about this in the context of what you know to be true about God's word. We're going to put... Moses, on pause for a second, just for one second, we'll come back to him, I promise. And I want to remind you that sometimes you have to be satisfied with where you are. And I know, I know, I know we're taught that if we just work hard enough and we plant and we sow, that we're going to reap this huge harvest. And that if we're walking in alignment with our calling, that that means that everything is sunshine and rainbows. And that's how you know that you've hit your sweet spot because your life has never been better. And that has never been more of a lie. 
It's not true. And this is why people lose their confidence in who they've been called to be because they're executing. They're doing exactly what it is that God has called them to do, but it's harder than they thought. And they're facing more closed doors than they thought. And they're not seeing the results that they thought. And so instead of thinking that, that maybe this is just a part of living in a spiritual kingdom that, that has a very real spiritual enemy that has a very real spiritual force of darkness and it's going to be trying to fight and dissuade and discourage me as I do exactly what it is God called me to do. They start to think maybe God didn't call me at all. I want you to think about this. Think about the apostle Paul who, in my humble opinion, was the most anointed of all the apostles when it came to spreading the gospel. I want you to listen in his own words what he wrote. Now, mind you, he's writing this in the midst of him being the most effective he's been. This is in the midst of his carrying out his calling. He says in 2 Corinthians, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a whole day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities in the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all of this, I have the daily concern for all of the churches. What is Paul saying? <laughs> your giftedness, your calling, your anointing, your purpose, none of those are get out of suffering free cards. None of those are guaranteed that you won't face hardship. When you're walking in your calling, you can be doing exactly what God called you to do, exactly where he called you to do it, exactly the way God called you to do it. And still be beaten up by circumstances, still be pushed to your limit, still be ready to give up. You can be taken on shipwrecks and detours. You could be living without resources. You could be judged and rejected by the very people that you're called to help. You can be placed in precarious positions, traveling from one place to the next. You can have long, restless, sleepless nights. You can be betrayed by others who claim to be like you, who claim to be believers, who claim they would support you. And on top of all that, still be overcome with the overwhelming concern about the matter that you've been called to. So don't believe for one second that just because you're facing hardship, just because it doesn't look the way you thought, just because you face some rejection, just because some doors have closed from time to time, just because there's more trials and testing than you thought as you tenaciously pursue your calling, that you're not in fact called. Don't lose confidence because you're facing obstacles. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to define confidence. 
The dictionary would say something like the feeling or belief that you can rely on someone or something, a firm trust, the the state of feeling certain about the truth of something. We're going to simplify that and we're just going to define confidence as being fully convinced, being fully convinced. So being confident means being fully convinced. Shania, give me an example of that. What does being fully convinced look like? You're so smart. I'm glad you asked all the right questions. I want you to turn to Romans chapter four, and we're going to read verses 18 through 21. And if you don't have your Bible handy or don't have a Bible at all, I'll read it to you. So don't worry. This is in Romans chapter four, verses 18 through 21. And it reads here. Let me get to the right scripture. It says he referring to Abraham. He believed hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. Let me stop there and give you a little context. It's saying here that Abraham believed even when there was no sign, no indication, no reason for him to do so other than that he trusted God. God had previously told Abraham he was going to be the father of many nations. And when it says, so will your descendants be. It's referring to the time that God laid, led Abraham out of his tent to look up into the night sky. And he asked him to count the stars. And Abraham was unable to because, I mean, think about a big, beautiful night sky and all of the stars shining. And God said to him, exactly, that's how many descendants you will have. You won't be able to count them, right? You're going to be the father of many nations and so will your descendants be. It goes on in verse 19 of Romans 4. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. He was fully convinced, confident that what God had promised, he was able to do. Now, I want to be clear that being fully convinced, being confident that God has called you to do something is not the same as perfection. You should expect that your confidence is going to have some valley experiences where you may feel dismayed and discouraged and mountaintops where things are happening at such a rapid pace, you can't keep up with what God is doing. Abraham experienced some of this. We know that him and Sarah kind of conspired to try to quote unquote help God along. And that's how we get the birth of Ishmael. And that's that's a lesson for another day. But just because you slip, just because you get discouraged, just because maybe you get a little bit ahead of God doesn't mean that you're not still fully convinced. You know how I know that Abraham caught himself and came back? Because after Isaac was born, which was the son of the promise, which was the child that God intended to use to make Abraham a father of many nations, he was willing to also obey God's command to sacrifice Isaac. So what does that tell me? If God has promised me something and he delivers on that promise and then God says, give it back to me, What is God asking me? What is God trying to teach me in that? For Abraham, we see 
that by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, his, it showed God that his confidence wasn't in Isaac. Abraham's confidence wasn't in the vessel or vehicle or person that God was going to use to fulfill the promise of him being a father of many nations. Abraham's confidence was in the promise maker himself. Abraham, again, was fully convinced. He was confident that what God had promised, he was also able to do. So our confidence isn't in what we've been called to do or accomplish or even whoever or whatever God may be using to get us there. Our confidence has to remain rooted, no pun intended, in the one who called us. Abraham was so fully convinced at this point that scripture says in Hebrews 11, I think around verse 19, that Abraham figured if God called him to kill Isaac, that God was just going to have to bring Isaac back to life, right? Did you hear what I just said? He figured that if if God called him to kill the very thing that God had promised to give to Abraham, then he believed that God would bring that thing back to life. What is it? What is it that God has promised you that he may be now calling you to give back to him, to sacrifice? What is that thing that you're afraid that if it doesn't work out, that this is it for you? This, if that relationship doesn't work out, you'll never be happy again. That if that opportunity doesn't work out, this is your last chance. What is it that you have placed your confidence in instead of God? Because he may be asking us, do you love the gift or the giver more? Do you love the calling and what status you think that gives you? Or do you love me, the caller, more? Those are good questions. <laughs> and it's something that we need to think about. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go back to Moses. I know I took you all over the place. We talked about Paul. We talked about Abraham. We're going to go back to Moses now, right? So when we left Moses, he was confidently living amongst his people, again, refusing to be treated like an Egyptian, refusing to live in privilege. And one day Moses, this unusual man that he is, as his parents referred to him, witnessed a fellow Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian. So Moses, knowing, right, he's confident in who he is, knows that he's been called to lead and protect his people, sees this as his chance. This must be why God placed me here at this time, right? And so he kills the Egyptian and buries his body in the sand, which tells you he knew he'd done something he wasn't supposed to. Now, his intention and motivation were rooted in his confidence, but the execution was wrong. So the next day, Moses sees two Hebrew men fighting and he kind of goes to admonish them like, why are we fighting against each other, right? We should be unified. And instead of being well received as the hero and savior of the people that Moses wanted to be, he's outright accosted, accused of murder and rejected. So afraid that he's going to be found out, he flees into the desert of Egypt and finds himself in Midian, where he later marries as a family, and begins shepherding sheep. At the time when God calls Moses, he was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. He wasn't even shepherding his own flock, right? He was overseeing shepherding what belonged to someone else. Sometimes we need to remember that when God calls us, often it's going to be in the midst of us taking care of what belongs to someone else. Let me say that again. 
often when God calls us, it's going to be in the midst of us taking care of what belongs to someone else. So how will you be found when God calls you? Are you properly stewarding what has currently been entrusted to you? For those of you that desire to be businessmen and women who desire to be entrepreneurs, do you think that the integrity that it takes to ethically run a successful business is just going to hop on you? (laughs) If you're not operating in integrity while you're on the job now, do you think that that work ethic that you just think that you would employ if you worked for yourself is going to automatically appear if you don't have work ethic now? Do you think that if you failed to craft the character that it takes to work hard, even when no one acknowledges you, that you're going to have the determination that it takes to depend on yourself and only yourself to make ends meet? Are you ready for the backside of the blessing? Because look, I learned from experience, it's great to set your own hours until you realize in the beginning, the hours you work dictate the amount of money you make. (laughs) You thought being the boss was going to free up your time, but you can't be the one everyone wants without being the one everyone wants, right? It matters what you're doing now. I know we always want to think forward. We always want to think about the next step. But it matters how you're operating right now. Are you being a faithful steward of what is currently been entrusted to you? Because sometimes the calling, sometimes the upset, the the miracle, the unexpected happens in the midst of the monotonous and the mundane. Think about Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Think about David shepherding out in the middle of the field. And all that time, God is anointing them to do great and marvelous things. But they were found doing the monotonous and the mundane. So don't grow tired of doing good. Don't lose your confidence in what you've been called to do just because right now it's tedious. Be a great steward of what has been entrusted to you. I promise you, God is preparing you. God calls those who are working, who are doing something, even if it isn't ideal. God isn't leading those who are sitting still. I want you to think there's a a phrase in Exodus 3, I think it's verse 1, that said um, that Moses, when he was shepherding the sheep, went to the far side of the wilderness. Often when you hear reference to wilderness, it refers to a season or area of your life where you've been tested and tried. I want you to think in terms of like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And they did that because they didn't believe that they were who God told them that they were or that they could have what God said they could have. And that could preach all on its own, right? So they constantly tested him. They kept trying to get him to prove to them that he was who he said he was, when honestly, that wasn't their problem. They didn't need another miracle. They didn't need a repeated performance of God's greatness or faithfulness. There was nothing that was going to top the parting of the Red Sea, right? They knew who he was. They didn't know who they were. And so in this moment, I'm wondering how many of us God is saying to, look, you don't need to see me better. You need to see you better. 
And if you are in this season, having a hard time discerning your calling, I want you to just get real simple about it. Remember those things that you love to do. That thing that ignites something within you, that sparks a passion and an interest. I want you to think about that thing you tried. It didn't work out, so you gave up. And instead of saying or considering that maybe it wasn't the right time, or maybe like Moses, you got ahead of God and you didn't utilize your gifts in the right way. Instead of that, maybe you just denied the calling altogether. And instead begin saying to yourself, there's no way God could have called me to do this. Because if God chose right, I would have gotten it right. And maybe you've said that so often and for so long that you actually started to believe it. I think the same was true for Moses. Because next time we'll find him in chapter three, completely incapable of believing that he'd been called to speak. You know the story, the burning bush, the excuses, being slow of tongue, perhaps even a stutter, not the world's best public speaker. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it said that Moses, now remember he was raised in Pharaoh's house, that Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and action. Powerful in what? Both speech, that's talking, (laughs) and action. So that means when Moses fled to the desert after killing the Egyptian, he was a powerful speaker. When Moses fled and left Egypt and went to Midian, he was a powerful speaker. So what happened to Moses in that dry, dry desert that made him lose confidence in who he was and what he had been called to do to the point that he didn't believe he could even speak. What in the world happened between Exodus 2 and Exodus 3? We'll talk about it next time. I love you guys. I'm Shania, and this is Rooted.